You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green Smith, episode 476. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP476. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing or your partner asks what's bothering you and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Hey, hey, pod people. Amy here, and we are kicking off a new mini-series all about self-love. Hello, I think we could all use that. This week, I'm going to start by giving a ring, a little ringy-ding, to a dear friend of mine, Charday Rael, and she is kind of a badass and talks a lot about how self-love informs how you feel about your body. Oh, yes, I feel like I have yet to find a woman anywhere who has zero hangups on their body. I think a majority of us have something going on where we are at odds with our body or diet culture or what we feel about food or how we feel about our age, all of those different things. So I thought if we're going to be talking about self-love, we definitely need to be talking about body. So we're going to give Sharday a call here really quick. But if you did not catch the last two episodes, we talked all about New Year goal setting. And again, it actually doesn't really pertain only to the New Year. You could use it kind of anytime you wanted to set some goals. But the last two episodes are something that I do every single year. And one of them, the 474 in particular, was all about the planning guide for the next new year. So in that episode, I break down how to set SMART goals, how to celebrate everything from 2022, how to map out what you really want for 2023, and all of the things that really help bring that to fruition. And then in last week's episode, I talked specifically about things that tend to impede our growth when we are trying to make things come uh, come to fruition, when we are trying to realize our dreams and manifest various things, we sometimes inadvertently get in our own way or quite simply, we haven't been taught how to structure our goals or incorporate accountability or all of these different things that actually lend themselves to greater success in goal setting. So if that's anything that you've been thinking about Please be sure to check out the last two episodes, but we're going to be jumping into a conversation over the next handful of weeks around self-love and what is what does that mean? So we're going to kick it off with an expert episode, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Sharday before we jump in so that 
it hopefully if we can catch her, we can get her on the phone, we can kind of sift through her thoughts and her ideologies and hopefully come up with some really sound action steps. But before we do that, I wanted to let you know a very, very important piece of information. You've probably heard me talk about my retreat that is coming up in May of 2023 this year. And I am beside myself about this retreat. Okay, first of all, it's called I'm Enough Already. It's all about major components that contribute to your self-worth. So we are going to be digging into forgiveness for both yourself and other folks. What's the antithesis of forgiveness? It's blame. A lot of times when we are stuck in a place of blame, either blaming ourselves for our past or our current reality, or we're blaming other people, our parents, our exes, etc., it locks us into this permanent state of victimhood so that we can't really move forward unless our past magically changes or those people who are insufferable in our life magically change, which we have no control over. So we're going to be digging into all things around forgiveness. We're going to be talking about confidence. How is that curated? A lot of times we have this idea that people who are confident are just magically bestowed with confidence. (laughs) which is absolutely not true. We're also going to be digging into boundaries, how to speak up for yourself, how to have those difficult conversations, how to even know who to establish boundaries with, what areas in my life are calling for boundaries. I I like that idea. What the fuck does that even mean? We're going to be digging into all of those things. And those three concepts Boundaries, confidence, and forgiveness are all intertwined with our self-worth, with how we feel about ourselves, believing in our core that we are enough, that we are valuable, that we matter, that we are deserving of the things that we want in our life, that we are deserving of love, we're lovable. So when people come to work with me, there there's typically some sort of concept or deep-seated belief that they hold that is something like, I'm not enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not valuable, etc. We all have slightly different language to kind of encapsulate what that feels like. This particular retreat is all about dismantling that and getting you to a place where you genuinely believe that you are enough already. So that's the content. That's what we're going to be targeting. But we're also going to be doing it in motherfucking paradise. So we will be going to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. We are staying at a boutique resort that is chef's kiss, absolutely gorgeous, super small. So it's not going to be one of those, like all these kids running around. It's an adults only facility. It's a very small, it's beachside. You can actually swim in the ocean, which does not happen at all Mexican resorts, <laughs> despite what you might think. And it is stunning. I mean, there's going to be all sorts of shishi, foo-foo stuff. Like if you like lots of pampering, there's going to be like pillow menus and aromatherapy and all sorts of fun stuff like that. But it is also all inclusive. It's five days. I'm also going to handle your ride to and from the airport will have airport transfers. So basically, all you have to do is get your happy ass to Puerto Vallarta, and I will take care of absolutely everything else. 
all of the group events, all of your food, all of your drinks. That includes mini bar and room service and everything that you can possibly think of. It's all included. So I would really encourage you to go check it out sooner than later because at the end of this month, the price is jumping. As of January, I think January 26th is the last day for you to get in on this particular rate. So go over to amygreensmith.com slash enough. You can read all about it. You can see that this is not my first rodeo. I've done many retreats and they are unreal. Just the connection that you can have in real life, not to mention getting away from your everyday life and having a little bit of a respite. And you can find all the Q&A. You can message me directly. And then you have the opportunity to apply for the retreat. Uh, I'm being very deliberate and very intentional about who comes together and the sister circle that's created. So that's your first item of business is to submit your application. So go to amygreensmith.com slash enough. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Charday as we jump into this conversation around self-love. She is an author, a wellness entrepreneur, and behavioral change specialist. I mean, come on now. And she empowers women globally with body confidence and well-being stripped of the rules. We love that over here. She's the host of the Feel Good Naked podcast for women. And she's also the founder of Corpau Fitness, a Brazilian-inspired wellness brand. So let's give Charday a call and see what we can learn from her. Hello? Charday, hey, it's Amy. How are you, friend? Oh my gosh, Amy, you came at the most amazing time. I actually have some real clothes on, you know, like I love to <laughs> run around naked. <laughs> I got my big girl outfit on ready to show up on camera. <laughs> oh, nice. I know. I know you love to be running around naked. Uh, I know that most of Brazil <laughs> loves to run around naked, which, you know, is your homeland. So I'm thank you for your modesty, although it's not necessary. You can, you can be as naked as you choose. <laughs> I feel like that might have made for a better episode. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So thanks for answering FaceTime and, uh, having some clothes on, which, you know, again, not mandatory, uh, but Hey, listen, so I'm, I'm hanging out here with the potty. And so we've been talking about stuff around self-love around body image and things like that. And I knew I had to give you a call because it's something that you focus on and you've been working in, in the last gosh, decade. And, uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that you have a little bit of time that you can share some insights with us. Completely. Any time to spread self-love, I have all the time. Okay. Yay. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. So I, I want to talk a little bit about this term of diet culture and how it very specifically disempowers women and BIPOC in particular. And I definitely have my own thoughts on that, but I would love to hear your perspective of like, how do you even define diet culture, let's say, and then explain how it disempowers us? So I love that you asked first about 
how do you define diet culture? Because I think for many people, they don't even realize that it's a subset of anything. They just think that it's mainstream that, yeah, of course you want to go and lose weight. Yeah, of course you want to do this. And they don't see that that's not actually the way things need to be. So I love that you said that first off. And it's a subjective thing. You know, some people have a very strict definition of what diet culture is. For me, it is any type of beliefs, especially products that are pushed on someone, especially women, as we mentioned, that cause you to feel like you need to change the way you look in order to be worthy, in order to be desirable. And a lot of that too is tying in this idea of, oh, if you're thin, you're healthy. If you lose weight, you're healthy. Mm -hmm. And that connection, which is not really a true connection necessarily even. So right. that for me is is definitely diet culture. It's interesting that you say that because I've been doing kind of a, a pretty deep dive in this topic for, for a while, just in my own healing, my relationship with my body. And my mind was blown when I found out how not bad for your health it is to be fat and just how the propaganda and 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 again disproportionately with black women and and persons of color where we're not a lot of the things like BMI and all of these research studies and whatever have been done only on white men and you know shit like that where I'm like get out of here so so talk a little bit about about the way in which it's disempowering to people of color in particular. Yeah. So for me, for those of you that can't see me, I am half Latina, so half Brazilian, and I take to that side. But I was actually raised with my white mom in a very white town in the middle Ooh. of America. So oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't see people like me besides sometimes there were some Mexicans, but there's a very social economic division there. So you don't necessarily interact. And what that meant was I grew up, especially in the 90s and 2000s, with this body image of thin, blonde, six-pack abs, big boobs. And that was not my body because mm -hmm. I take to that Latina side. I'm short. I've got big hips. I've got big thighs. My chest is not really big. And I know people think in Brazil, everyone has big boobs, but actually... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> most of us tend to be a little bit smaller up top. It's mm -hmm. just how it is. And growing up, having that be the standard of beauty, and then having me be so different, that it was just every day seeing that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't desirable, that I had to work twice as hard to get anyone's attention or to be taken, you know, because a woman's worth was always in the way she looked, which thank God that's changing. But it was hard. Obviously, it made everything harder. And for the BMI you talk about, I'm a really petite person now. Mm -hmm. You can see like I'm short, I'm pretty small, but my BMI still is considered overweight, which mm -hmm. is crazy. It's crazy because of my body shape. So it's the same for women of color, for people of color. It, our body composition is different. Mm -hmm. We carry more weight in the chest, in the hips, in the bum. And it doesn't mean that we're not healthy. It just means that we're not white. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, if we look throughout history, that standard of beauty is changing all the time. I remember, you know, I came up in the, the 80s and 90s and it was this waif model 
in the 90s, which was incredibly emaciated and zero body fat, um, incredibly unattainable. And then, you know, now we're looking at, okay, now we've got the, oh gosh, what, what's that? It's, it might, is it even called a Brazilian butt lift? Like where they liposuction out your sides and then pump it into your ass and like, which talk about like appropriating different (laughs) body types. So But what my point is, is that our concepts of beauty are ever-changing and elusive. And the rat race for us to try to keep up with that is is just that. It's a bunch of bullshit. And I personally think it's another way that society at large can flex the misogyny of, okay, if we can keep women focused on this and be so concerned about what they look like, then, then they're not becoming CEOs. They're not taking over uh, countries even, you know, can we get a fucking woman president already? Like (laughs) there, we're not advancing in ways that we're totally capable of advancing. If we are taking up so much mental bandwidth with our weight and food and obsession about beauty. I love, this is honestly what you're saying is the reason why we need to stop obsessing about the weight because, and it's not just weight, is it? It's aging as well. So how many women are going into the boardroom worried about their gray hair? I guarantee men don't give a shit about that. Like That's they're right. not going in and thinking about that. And the problem with it is too, is that the diet industry and the wellness industry will often tie in your confidence with losing that weight or dyeing that hair or being however. And so the idea is, oh, you can go in the boardroom, you can be president, but you got to be size two. You've Mm got to have all your hair one color. And Mm -hmm. it's fine if you choose to do those things. You know, if you want to wear makeup, if you want to work out, all of that is fine. But it's about why are you doing it? Is it because someone told you you have to or because you actually feel good doing it because you want to, you know? That's right. And I know, I know you are such a creative spirit and love art. And I too am that way. And so I got involved in makeup artistry in, you know, my early twenties. And that was really my first career. And I still love, love, love all things makeup, but I don't, I don't do it. I really only do it when I have a reason to. So a friend of mine had come over the other day and she was like, I never see you without makeup on. And I'm like, that's because you're usually the one event that I get ready for each week. (laughs) (laughs) And it gives me an excuse to play. And I feel I I love it and I enjoy it. I love mixing colors. And that's a very different come from energy than feeling like, oh, I have to do this in order to be acceptable or to even love who I am. Completely. I think the the intention matters so much. And I know that the problem is this. It's like if you, for example, this is a horrible analogy, but just <laughs> to make it work, let's say you shove someone and someone asks you, why did you shove that person? Shoving is not okay. And your answer is, oh, well, I was angry at them. Well, that's not okay. That's a horrible reason to shove someone. Mm -hmm. But what if your answer is, oh, I shoved them because they were getting in the way of a car. They were going to get hit. Mm. It's completely different then because your intention was to help someone. 
And maybe the action is the same, but the reason why you're doing it is so different. And that's why you just can't compare them. They're just not the same. Like You're wearing makeup because it's an event for you, because you have the artistry behind it, not because you feel less than and you need to cover up. And that's very different. You know, the same person can be doing the same thing, but for different reasons that could be disempowering or empowering. And I think we can also do them do the same behavior for different reasons, like each individual. Cause I, I think, okay, like today I have a handful of interviews. I absolutely could have shown up with no makeup and been fine. Right. So in my head, I have the like, okay, that's one parameter where you feel safe, not conforming to societal standards. However, if my husband was like, Hey, I want us to go to a party tonight with a bunch of friends and colleagues, I would have such a hard time showing up there with no makeup on. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even, and I think that's an important message for people to hear is you might start flexing these muscles or developing some confidence in one area or on one day. And then in another situation, it falters a little bit. And I, I think that's an important nuance for people to understand is that you don't just like flip the switch and all of a sudden you're confident in every fucking situation around every corner. Yeah. I I love that you mentioned that because it's not, you know, I wasn't running around naked so freely before. (laughs) Like there was a gradual process. And I remember as an example of this, I spoke with this lady who has a skin disorder And she essentially did not feel comfortable wearing a bathing suit because then people could see it. Mm -hmm. And her thing to get comfortable with that wasn't one day she went from covering herself up in sweats to then wearing the bathing suit. It was one summer, maybe she showed her arms and then the next summer, maybe her legs. And it was a gradual process. And that's okay. You know, she was confident in her job and her relationship, but this was an area that took time. And I think that that's completely fine. Like there's, you don't have to wake up the next day ready to drop all your insecurities. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I want to ask you, and I truly hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, but as I've been studying around fat liberation and listening to a lot of fat creators, it has become increasingly difficult for me to take body image advice from individuals who are in small bodies, um, sometimes even mid-sized bodies. And I, and that's very much something that's my own internal bullshit. I know that for sure, because I've always been a small person, like, you know, is always very petite, but in the last handful of years, I probably gained about 30 pounds And so, and that has completely changed how I've viewed myself and aging and all of that. So I get now where I'm like, I don't want to hear about confidence from people who are thin. I want to hear about confidence from people who are not the traditional white standard of beauty who are super thin and, you know, so, and at the same time, I can look back to these pictures of myself 30, 40 pounds ago. And still remember how I was trying to hold my body so I looked as thin as possible. I was concerned about the angle. I was con- remembering the same insecurities at those weights. So I know that it does have to do with 
my relationship with my own body and diet culture at large, not necessarily that, you know, if you're in a thin body, you're, you know, you're void of experiencing that. But I'm curious if you come up against that at all, where people kind of say, easy for you to say you're in a small body. It is the biggest struggle. Of is it? This. I will say it is the biggest struggle because on the one hand, it's fair what you're saying. It's fair that you find more commonality and more trust in someone who is more like you or beyond you mm-hmm. that you feel, okay, they, I know what they're going up against in society. And it's true. Like they, there are certain privileges to being smaller. Sure. And I 100% acknowledge that. Even now, like I'm at my biggest size, which is not very big. Mm-hmm. And I have those privileges still. So I'm not going to pretend that I don't. And I can totally understand why someone listening would think, well, you don't have to go through the same prejudice as anyone else. And I think that's true. But on the other hand, it is very different when you are not a white petite person. When you are not a standard looking person, when your ethnicity is ambiguous type of person and you don't really belong to one area or another, because the challenges that I face with body and beauty standards are different. You know, they're not the same as yours. And that's okay. Like maybe Mm -hmm. you won't relate as much to me because I don't look like you, but someone else who is black, who is Latina, who is whatever might feel like. Actually, that's someone that I can understand a bit more because they know what that prejudice is. They grew up with it. They understand. Yeah. Uh, but I don't claim to be that for everyone because I'm not black, right? So someone who's black might also find, I want to listen to this person instead. And I think you have that right to choose sure. that it's okay. You have the right to choose who do you want to listen to? Who do you believe in? And I'm not going to try to be that person for everyone. I think is yeah. the big thing. I I appreciate, I really appreciate that perspective. And, you know, there's all of these different levels of privilege, right. That we have to kind of unpack and, and look at. And, you know, what I keep coming back to though, regardless of what sort of body someone's in, whether it's a disabled body, a queer body, uh, anything that is a marginalized identity we all are still grappling with this this desire and this real intrinsic need to believe in our own value and our own worth uh and i and obviously i think we all have different levels of hurdles to getting to that goal right like th- different things are stacked up in front of us depending on our lived experience but if people are out there listening to this and they're going how the fuck does anyone get to a point where they genuinely love their body? You know, um, I've even found that for myself lately where I, I really vacillate between fuck this patriarchy and all of this stuff that a lot of it, a lot of diet culture is really rooted in racism and uh, misogyny and all of that. And being like, no way I'm going to be in this body and be okay with it. And then I will flip this, the script altogether and be like, I cannot be here. I cannot be here. I've got to get back to got to get back to. And then I get mad at myself for that. 
And then I get really pissed that this is taking up so much energy. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I have an empire to create. So, so can you break it down of like somebody like me, which I know there's probably quite a few people out there who just kind of think, oh, let me just get back to where I was in my twenties or my thirties or whatever, which is also stupid, or I should say conditioned, not stupid. Where do you start with folks? What you're describing is what so many listeners, people listening are going to feel that I see all these people and even, you know, people who are bigger and I see them being so happy and so positive in their bodies. How can I ever hope to reach that point? Mm -hmm. How can I get there? As you're saying for you as well, that some days you think about it and you're mad for thinking about it because yeah, you've got better shit to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. You don't want to waste it on this. And the first thing is that I always tell people is you don't start with love. You start with acceptance. You start with being neutral. You start with the language you use. So it's not my beautiful body, but it's Mm -hmm. not my fat body, horrible body, whatever adjectives are hurtful for you and they're not the same for everyone. So some Mm -hmm. people might be offended by one thing and others not, but Mm -hmm. whatever is offensive to you, stripping that language to be neutral. I have a body. I have blonde hair. Mm. I have curly hair. And it seems so elementary. I know people are listening like, oh, that's, you know, that's not going to do anything. But I'm telling you, if every day, all the times that you criticized yourself, the thoughts that you had, if instead they were just objective, I'm short. I have arms, whatever, that starts to take away the negativity that you feel and the spiral that you feel, that comparison. So the first step in any behavior change is not to jump to the end result. It's not to be, oh, body love immediately. Like That's not what happens. You have these stages. And the first one is honestly just to be neutral. It's just to be neutral. And from there, you can start to add in things like, oh, I actually like this about myself. But it's important to say that I kind of compare it to having kids. I don't have any, but I've got nieces and nephews where parents will say, I love my kids. Mm-hmm. But some days those little. Yeah. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and it's the same with your body. Like I've been, I've been diet free now for, I think almost over 10 years. And there are still days where I'm like, God, this is hard. Like I don't feel great. Mm-hmm. Someone objectively looks at me and thinks, yeah, she must be feeling great, but I don't always. Mm -hmm. But the difference now versus 15 years ago is I don't feel awful. Mm -hmm. And I know how to stop that spiral the moment it starts versus letting it go all the way down. I, it's really, that's actually the same analogy I've used before too, that, you know, when your kids, and I don't have kids either, thank God. But if <laughs> if they scribble all over the wall in that moment, you're like, fuck, you know, yeah. <laughs> but you, you don't really cease to love them. You, you don't no. stop loving them. You're just frustrated in that moment. So I'm wondering, is that kind of what you work with folks on is to work with those individual moments of self-negativity? That's a huge part of it. So there's a lot of unlearning that happens. And I would say that's the first month of working with someone. It's not, oh, let's get you eating healthy. Let's get you exercising. It's not about that. It's about unlearning all these behaviors that hold you back, that disempower you. 
Because if you, you know, you take someone who does all their meal planning and they exercise all the time and they find the physical results they want, but they haven't unlearned this idea of I'm not worthy or saying I look like crap in the mirror, one day they're going to break and the whole cycle repeats again. So there's no point in even starting until you unlearn this bad shit. (laughs) That's honestly the case. And so that's what we start with. Like, what is the programming you have? What's the narrative you have? Why do you think this way? How can we start to change it? And that is a lifelong process. I help them start, but they're going to have to do it forever. And that's, that's the truth about it. Right. Yeah. I did an episode quite a while ago about how your personal development journey is never done and how frustrating and maddening it is because we were such a solution-driven society and we want, fix me. I just, when will it be fixed? And a lot of times I say, that's like saying, oh, I've, I've brushed my teeth enough times. I've, I have gone to a doctor enough times and you don't ever get to a point where you don't have to actually maintain your relationship with yourself. It's not dissimilar to any other relationship. You don't just stop taking care of your friendships or your partnership yeah. and, oh, we're done. No, you have to continue that, that relationship with yourself. Before we continue, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you know I'm a huge fan of therapy. I like to say, if you don't think that you need therapy, then you probably need therapy. Because listen, without a healthy mind, being really, truly happy and at peace can really be a challenge. But the good news is that therapy really does work. So whatever you need help with, it is time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better, okay? Because you deserve to be happy. Here's the deal. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to be on camera if you don't want to. Hello, introverts. I see you out there. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They have over 20,000 therapists in their network, which gives you way, way more options than your immediate geographical area. And it's also available for clients worldwide. Much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in less than 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. In fact, a member of my family just started and totally loves it. It is always a good time to invest in yourself because you deserve it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Bold Face Truth podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash bold truth. That's betterhelp.com slash bold truth or enter the code bold truth at checkout again to save 10% off your very first month. All right, let's get back to the show. With some of the folks that you work with, what are some of the mindset shifts that are the most powerful or pivotal for people in actually creating that body acceptance and sort of the healthy relationship with their body? The biggest thing is, to be honest, when people start to realize, well, the first thing we do, the first behavior that we get rid of, and this is the huge mindset shift to them, is we get rid of the scale. So I don't actually use the scale at all in my coaching. I strongly discourage people. Sometimes they sneak and do it in the beginning. (laughs) I strongly, strongly discourage them to stop doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because 
this is the thing, like what they learn when they stop going on the scale, because often we're taught, oh, we need to do this or we'll go out of control. If I don't step on the scale, you know, every day, every week, then I'm going to lose control with food and I'm going to put on 10, 15 pounds and then it's going to be so much harder for me. They want that control. And what they realize with the scale, which is one small part of control that we have to dismantle, is that actually you learn to trust your body. And you learn to trust your choices and you learn that I'm more motivated to keep taking care of my body when I'm not judging it by a number, Mm. when I'm actually feeling it, when I'm noticing my energy, when I'm noticing my skin clear up because I'm eating things that are actually nutrient rich, like all of these things, they realize that it's so much more powerful than the scale. And they can't believe that they spent some of them 20 years Mm -hmm. every week looking at that number, I think that's probably the biggest shift because that happens quite soon in the process. Wow. I definitely changed my relationship with the scale in that way, but I do periodically check in and my, my mindset is always like, I just need to make sure it's not getting worse. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm laughing only because it's not because it's funny. It's because this is what everyone does. (laughs) Okay, good. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have this element of like, you're in personal development. You're not supposed to struggle with this. Like you're, supp- you know, like I need to somehow magically be over this massive inundation from our society, which, yeah. So, okay, good. I'm glad to know <laughs> that I'm not alone in that. A lot of your work is around this concept of feeling good naked. And it's the name of your podcast. And I understand that you have seven key steps to feeling good naked. Can we go through some of those? Yeah, let's or all of them if you're feeling generous. <laughs> no, I'm happy to go through all of them. So the first thing is, is that most people, the whole point of this is I don't call it look good naked. And I think that's a big differentiator. It's not about if you ask someone, you know, why do you want to lose weight? Why do you step on the scale periodically? It's because you want to feel good. It's not because you necessarily care about looking good because that comes with feeling good. And from that, that's why we have the whole term for it. So it goes deeper than just the way you look. And the seven steps to do that are internal and some of them are a bit more external. So the biggest ones, the ones that people skip, that people that people do not do is one is body image. So healing your body image, what we've been talking about. The second one is healing your food relationship. So that's being able to choose food without all the emotional triggers. It doesn't go away completely and never will, but being able to manage it a little bit better so you don't feel like you're, you know, completely controlled by the ice cream or the pizza you eat, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. whatever it is. So it's healing the food relationship. It's healing the body image. It's building confidence. And we do that from the inside out. So a lot of that is acceptance. And these tie in together as well. You'll see they overlap a lot of them. Then we go into habits, which is kind of the foundation of everything. How can you maintain this stuff if you don't do the habits to do it? And if you don't make them personalized, which is a big thing people don't do, they want to know how do I eat? How do I exercise? What's my meditation? But that's not going to work for you. So that has to be personalized. And that's a big step as well. After habits, then we have our two that everybody knows, nutrition, but it's non-diet nutrition. We have fitness. And then the last one, the probably most important one is self-care. 
And this is deep self-care. This isn't just bubble baths, although it could totally be part of it. It's how you take care of yourself. Because what's the point in living this lifestyle if you're not going to also take care of yourself? It just, it doesn't make sense. You know, then you just have the shell, but you don't have the internal stuff. And do you go through these steps chronologically like this? Like, are they built to follow this specific flow? No. So the only one that is chronological is habits. So habits is the foundation one. It's the one. So I wrote a book, right? Seven steps to feel good naked. And we start with step one, which is habits. And that's the foundation because you cannot do the rest until you start to think about what are my habits to keep this stuff up. There's no point in doing it because you'll learn the information, but then it's out the next year. It's like, if you tell me how to, if I'm new to podcasting and you tell me how to do a podcast, but I haven't developed the habit of recording and editing and interviewing, then what is that going to matter? I have the knowledge, but I have no way of keeping it up. So habits is the first. And then the other six are how people want to do them. It really is like, sometimes you're working on two at a time. Never are you working on more than three because it's a lot of work. It takes time. But each person's different. For me, maybe my issue is more body image than nutrition. For someone else, maybe it's more exercise. So it's mm. not a one size fits all, you know, quick fix. <laughs> Got it. Got yeah. it. So it's it's extremely tailored to each person's individual experience. Exactly. Exactly. So I think a large majority of the women that I work with, body image tends to be the biggest prevailing issue. And then they look to things like fitness and nutrition as the remedy through sort of an older pedagogy of like, this is how you, you know, you calories in calories out or fucking paleo or whatever the thing is where it's like, good God, just eat food. Um, And also, I can't remember who I was talking to. It might've been Susan Hyatt, where she was talking about how we applaud women for literally shrinking ourselves. Like, like, let's take up some motherfucking space in our bodies, in our personalities, in our spirituality, like in our business and everything. So, okay. So for folks who go, yeah, 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 self-care, how can I what I really, really care about is looking in the mirror and actually liking that person or being kind to that person. Where do we start with that? It is really going to depend on what your individual trauma is. And it does go back to trauma. I mean, some of the stuff and the way we feel the way we do and the views we have go back decades. Sure. Uh-huh. So it's not the same for, for example, someone who let's say has been fairly body confident all their life. They go to university, they gain weight, they feel self-conscious about it and they want to work on that Mm -hmm. versus someone who all their life has struggled with their weight and their mom was telling them that they needed to watch what they eat and they can't have any more bites of food. Like those are two very different people in different situations Mm -hmm. and what they'll need to work on will be very different. But the first step, honestly, is the language that you use all the time and not just to yourself, but how you talk about yourself as well. I think a lot of times we don't realize like the words and adjectives we use when we're describing ourselves to others that 
create the image that we think, but also that they think. And so being mindful of that is always a step. But for some people, it's therapy. Like it's not even with me. It's it's therapy. Right. Well, and there's also a huge generational trauma element here too. Like show me a, a mom who for for those of us who are adults now show us one of our moms who wasn't obsessed with weight watchers or my mom it was uh richard simmons <laughs> at least at least that one's fun i mean <laughs> and i don't think my yeah oh my gosh my mother but <laughs> yeah and it was and for my mom it was also really tied to religion um, I've talked a lot about like religious trauma that I've experienced. And there's this whole concept of your body being a temple of the Lord. And if you aren't taking care of it physically, that now you should incur some shame, right? Now, mm-hmm. now there should be eternal damnation. And to me, it's the antithesis of self-worth. It's the antithesis of like genuinely believing that you matter no matter <laughs> no matter what your size looks like. So to your point, yes, there's a lot to to unpack and to shift. I think one of the things that's been helpful for me, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, is to just shut down whatever the negative spiral is. So when I see myself in the mirror and and I I usually don't hear verbal words. I usually don't hear you're so disgusting or it's more of an emotion of like, yikes. (laughs) It's more of a feeling, just sort of the way that my inner critic kind of speaks to me. And so I've kind of just stopped and gone like, nope, not going down that path. And then actively distract my mind with a podcast or what am I going to ask Charday on my podcast today? Given that she picks up the phone, right? Like (laughs) hint, hint, yeah. but that's been one of the a helpful thing to just not feel like I need to substitute with something over, overly positive and just go, okay, no, no, opt out. Goodbye. Cancel. Not doing it. Well, it's the same with, you know, if you, for example, let's say you're struggling with grief, you lost someone, you can't say to someone, oh, just say that you're happy today. Because that's mm. so far away from where they are. But you can have them say, I got out of bed today. I'm looking outside today. Like very small things that seem like they don't matter, but they do. Because then you're not focusing just on the pain. Although, of course, you have to acknowledge it. You don't pretend it's not there. But it's this idea of start where you are, not just one step away from where you want to be. And for your example that you were saying is fantastic, but something else you could do is create a controlled situation. So maybe Mm. when you're getting out of the shower, you look in the mirror, that's not controlled. The first thought or feeling that comes to your mind happens. You don't necessarily control that, but maybe you make the conscious decision at the end of the night to stand in front of the mirror and just look. And then you can start with that feeling immediately because you know, you're about to look in the mirror, right? Like, you know, it's going to happen. And you have control over that. And I think that that's a big part is creating these situations where we can control the narrative a little bit more, especially in the beginning. And that can help you over time that it becomes a little bit more automatic. 
Brilliant. Yeah. I love that idea of controlling the situation because that, that really is one of the things that when you're not prepared to engage with your body and you're like, whoa. And, and I go through this a lot where, you know, I'm, I'm 43 and I kind of go, oh, that looks different than it did. years ago, or even just a few years ago. I feel like for a lot of us, the pandemic has just really done a number on us in a lot of ways. So speaking of grief and sort of emotional current that we're all dealing with, how do emotional triggers or things that we're going through affect our relationship with our body? It is so much. I mean, it's so deep because it's not just stuff you're aware of. It's a lot of subconscious things. And also, for example, let's say you're going through grief or depression or just general unhappiness, you know, discontentment. A lot of times your body is altering hormones in a way that you don't even realize. And it's encouraging certain mindsets, which are not necessarily helpful for you. And so the link is so strong in terms of how you feel and how your body's reacting. In many ways, you'll see symptoms like, for example, people will tell me, oh, I'm not stressed. I don't feel stress. But then I ask, well, are you sleeping? No. Is your energy down in the afternoon? Is your face breaking out and it never used to? You know, are you feeling this ball in your stomach every morning? Like, this is stress. Like These are the symptoms of stress. But we're so trained to think that if I don't consciously know it's happening, it's not happening, which is not true, mm. you know? And if you can bring awareness to it, that starts to help. It really does. If you start to acknowledge that, okay, I feel this pain. That's the only way that you can start to, you know, slowly get out of it. Yeah. That I really feel like emotional intelligence is one of the most important things that we can learn as humans. And one of the things that's pretty much bred out of us at an early age. Like, no, I like to call it the cognitive override where just be logical and pragmatic and don't tap into your intuition or your emotional self. And a lot of that has to do with self-trust and listening to your body about what it actually wants or needs as far as movement. And that's going to change depending on your, if you're in menopause or perimenopause, or if it's your cycle, or if you're pregnant, or if you're, you know, trans and doing hormone therapy, or, you know, there's all sorts of different things that contribute. But I do think that's one of the biggest pieces missing is to actually tune in and listen to your emotional frequency, but then also listening to physically how you feel. What is your body saying and telling you? It's so beautiful. It's exactly right. Like there is, I just wish that more people would tune in because so the whole the whole approach that I take, for example, is relearning kind of how to eat, but it's not really relearning. It's kind of going back to how you were before. Mm -hmm. How would you handle food as a kid? How -hmm. would you have eaten? I mean, yeah, of course, you probably go for the sugar stuff, but overall, (laughs) like, how do you do it? And When people try this approach, they'll say, well, it didn't work for me. I was listening to my body and my body wanted this. That's not what I'm trying to do. 
But until you've healed these things, mm-hmm. until your body is back to kind of status quo, let's say, how can you possibly do that behavior? So for example, as you mentioned, like someone's going through menopause, it's going to be really hard to tell them, listen to your body for how to eat because they're going through a transition. It's not going to be so easy like that. And I mm. think that's, that's the missing component when we talk about, for example, intuitive eating is that not everybody and most people are not at that stage yet. They're not at their just, you know, what do we want to call it? Like, what's that point? You know, that point where you're just in equilibrium. Mm. So there's, so we kind of want to jump. It's almost like we want to jump to this like spiritual plane and we haven't, we're like, ignore all that pain and trauma and uh, generational issues. No, let me just start trusting my body. What do I want to eat? And so what I'm hearing you say is we can't quite get to that place unless we've unpacked some of the shit that's not working, that's still derailing us. Yeah. And I would say that is the main thing stopping people is that they start this journey and they start the process, but then it's long and it's hard and they stop. And so they never get to this equilibrium point where they can really truly feel in balance with all things, with their body image, with food. It's very hard for them. And most people don't do it alone. Some people can. But I think that the big thing here is when you feel like there's so many confusing signals, that means you need to sort some stuff out first. There's no point in trying to make a huge transformation, like really sort out the baggage, the inner stuff before you try to do anything like that. I'm really glad that you said that because I think a lot of times we take the place where it quote hurts in our life. So it, it hurts in the body image department or it hurts in my career. It hurts in my relationship. And we think we just need to fix that piece. Okay. Well, let me just get my partner to communicate better, or let me just get a promotion. Let me just be in a thinner body And then everything will magically turn out instead of realizing that we're the common denominator and we have to unpack the real reason behind that symptom, right? It's just manifesting in that way. And I think that can shift like throughout our lives too, right? Like sometimes it's, it's the relationship that's the manifestation of what we really need to heal and fix internally. And when I say fix and heal, I don't mean so that you can then be skinny. It's so that you can then be in love with yourself and confident and genuinely believe that you're worthy. A big, huge thought exercise that people can do is if you have always been one of those people that's been uncomfortable with your body, which I think most of us are, especially women, what if you were thin right now, if you had the ideal body right now, what else in your life would you not be happy about? And I think then we can start to go a little bit deeper because it's so easy to say, well, this is the problem. And then what happens when you solve that problem? You still have all this other stuff, but what if you solve the other stuff first? Does it really matter then if you get that skinny body? And most people find that no, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't make a difference in the end, but it's a lot easier to just say, let me keep looking for this because then you don't have to do the hard work of addressing what's really keeping you down, which is a lot harder than a diet, a lot harder. Yeah. I'm reminded there's a quote by Jim Carrey and I, I don't know it verbatim, but it's something to the effect of 
I wish that everybody could have their wildest dreams come true so that they could realize that that's actually not what makes you happy. His point was you can have this wildly successful career. You can be, you know, partnered with other famous folks. You can, and none of that necessarily is going to equate happiness. And that's kind of to your point that it has to be an inside job. And also that fucking blows. So (laughs) also that's hard, especially when we live in such a culture of like, just give me a pill, just drive through and grab fast food, just fast, 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 fast. And our medical system is very reactive to symptoms. We don't heal internally. So I think there's a huge mindset shift of just being in it for the long haul and what it genuinely means to heal and that it's a, a journey. Yeah. Oh, sure. I'm so glad you picked up the phone and <laughs> that you had some clothes on, even though you didn't have to <laughs> next time, next, next time, <laughs> next time we'll do all nude podcasting all day. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's gotta be some explicit content warnings about that, but oh, yeah. I, I so appreciate you hanging out. And so I'm sure there's going to be folks who are like, I need to learn more. Where can people find out about your work? Where do you hang out the most? All the things. Yeah. So the best place is just actually my website, Feel Good Naked without the E and the Feel Good Naked podcast also without the E. So there you can find everything. And that's where I share. Yeah. Even on Instagram as well. Okay. I was thinking that you you had a pretty, pretty awesome Instagram presence too. I love to connect people connect with people on Insta. So we'll be sure to put all of that in the show notes. And I just appreciate you sharing your expertise and and taking the time to be with us today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I'll talk to you later, my friend. Bye. I am hoping that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. She is just such a breath of fresh air. You can, of course, learn all about her at the links in the show notes. And by the way, the show notes are always at EP. Fill in the number of the particular episode that you're listening to. So for this particular episode, the show notes are going to be amygreensmith.com slash EP. Four seven six. So that's where you can always find any links that have been referenced in the show notes or anything that we've talked about as, as a really great guide or reference tool. And next week, I'm going to be sounding off solo about some self-love tactics. So you will not want to miss that. And I will see you around these parts next week. Please do not forget to get your application in for the I'm Enough Already retreat. Again, you can find that at amygreensmith.com slash enough. And please remember, you are enough. Your voice matters. So go out there and speak the bold-faced truth. Peace. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves and if you do I will give you a mini pig just kidding but I will be so very incredibly grateful okay thank you bye